Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Genesis chapter 34. Genesis chapter 34. As we study through the book of Genesis, we come to this passage which records a family tragedy. And I want to speak about that this morning, following your Bibles as we read. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. And his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they were come. And Hamor, the, son, the father of Shechem, went out with, unto Jacob to commune with him. And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved, and they were very wroth, because he had wrought folly in Israel in lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not so to be done. And Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray you, give her him to wife, and make ye marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you. And ye shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein, and get you possessions therein. And Shechem said unto her father, and unto her brethren, Let me find grace in your eyes, and what ye shall say unto me I will give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I will give according as ye shall say unto me. But give me the damsel to wife. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father deceitfully, and said, Because he had defiled Dinah their sister. And they said unto them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one, of, one that is uncircumcised, for that were a reproach unto us. And in this will we consent unto you, if ye will be as we be, and every male of you be circumcised. Then will we give our daughters unto you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if ye will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, and we will be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. And the young man deferred not to do the thing, because he had delight in Jacob's daughter, and he was more honorable than all the house of his father. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came into the gate, of the city, and there and communed with the men of their city, saying, These men are peaceable with us. Therefore let them dwell in the land and trade therein, for the land, behold, it is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters for us to wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only herein will the men consent unto us for to dwell with us to be one people. If every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised, shall not their cattle and their substance and every beast of their, theirs be ours? Only let us consent unto them, and they will dwell with us. And unto Hamor and unto Shechem his son hearkened all that, that went out of the gate of his city, and every male was circumcised, all that went out of the gate of his city. And it came to pass on the third day, 
when they were sore, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Don his brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. And they slew Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. And they took their sheep and their oxen and their asses and that which was in the, the city and which was in the field and all their wealth and, all, and their little ones and their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, Ye have troubled me to make me stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And they said, Should he deal with our sister as with a harlot? Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Sometimes, Lord, in your word we read stories that are very disturbing. But we know that the Bible tells us that all the scripture is profitable for us. And so I help, pray that you would help us to see the profit that we have in this passage. Teach us today, Lord, and help us to realize that sin is always bad and sin always brings destruction, and sin never helps, it always hurts. And Lord, I just pray that you might uh, help us to understand the lessons that we find in this passage today. Give enablement to bring the message, and if the one here, if one is here, Lord, who does not know Jesus as their Savior, I pray the day would be the day that they trust you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All of us have known of and probably experienced a family tragedy. It could be the loss of a husband and father of a young family. The mother loses her husband and is left to raise and care for the children by herself, and the children are left without a father. That surely is a tragedy. Or it might be the loss of a young mother who leaves the father without, the, without a helpmeet and the children without their mother. Sometimes the tragedy is in the form of the loss of a child by tragic circumstances, either by an accident or sickness or even maybe by foul play. Another form of tragedy that happens quite often is a father loses his job and out of frustration over unpaid bills and tensions at home, he turns to drink. The money he has goes to alcohol to help him forget his problem and the result is that the marriage falls apart, his children are hurt, and he loses everything dear to him. Or something that is so common today, and that is a family is destroyed by immorality, and that is a tragedy. A pretty face and the seductive voice of another woman tempts a husband, and he becomes foolish, and he goes after her as a sheep to the slaughter. He destroys the trust of his wife, the respect of his children, and the blessing of a stable home, all for a few hours of sinful pleasure that destroys, disappoints, dishonors, and leaves a reproach that will not be wiped away, according to Proverbs chapter 6. The Bible records several other family tragedies. Let's mention just a few. There's the family tragedy of Adam and Eve. 
perfect human beings made by the hand of God. And yet they chose to sin. And when they sinned, it brought separation from God, separation from the Garden of Eden. And then eventually, when they had children, their oldest son killed their, their son Abel. And so that was a family tragedy. And then there's the tragedy of Eli, the priest. You remember Eli was a a man who had been a priest for many, many years. And he raised some boys. Their name was Hophni and Phinehas. But he refused to discipline those boys, and he refused to tell them to stop them from doing wrong. And they had relationship with the women there at the temple, outside the temple itself. I mean, it was a disgusting thing the sons of the priest. And the ark of God was then taken by the Philistines. And the result, because of this, the Bible said that the Lord was going to judge that family. And the Bible says that Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were killed in the battle. And then when Eli heard the word about what happened, he was sitting on a seat, and he was a big fat man because he ate so much and little activity and all that, but... And he fell off the seat and broke his neck and died, and he was 98 years old. But the tragedy didn't end there because God had said because of his sin, his family would no longer be able to, would not after time continue in the priesthood, and so God took that away from that family. And then there's the tragic event of David with Bathsheba. David, a very blessed man, uh, blessed by God, decided he wanted another woman, and that was Bathsheba. And so he had immoral relations with her. And to cover it up, he had Uriah, her, his, her husband, killed. And then the child was born from that union, and the Bible says that God took the child. And you remember when uh, Nathan the prophet confronted David about that? David said, that's a terrible thing that this man has done because he gave him the story of the sheep. And this man took a sheep, a rich man took a sheep from a poor man, and he only had one sheep, and he killed that sheep to feed a friend. And David said, that man should die and should restore fourfold. I'll start counting, David, because the Lord will bring fourfold to you. And sure enough, it wasn't very long until Tamar, his daughter, was raped by by her brother, half-brother Amnon. And then because... Absalom, Tamar's brother, was so upset with Amnon, he determined to kill him. And then Absalom killed Amnon. And so the child dies because of the, birth of, of, of the sin. Then Tamar is raped, Amnon is killed, and then you remember Absalom is killed as well. Four sheep, David. It wasn't worth it, was it? And there are other tragedies recorded in the Bible but we'll not mention those this morning. But Genesis chapter 34 records a family tragedy that involves immorality, lack of leadership by the father, deceit, and murder. The tragedy took place in God's chosen family, which became the nation of Israel, the nation through whom the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, would come. The setting of the story is when after living in Succoth for about 10 years, Jacob and his family decided they were going to move close to Shechem. While they were living close to that godless city, Dinah made a decision. Jacob's daughter, Dinah, probably the only one he had at that time. He had 11 sons, but, and uh, at that time he only had Dinah. 
She made a decision that resulted in one of the worst family tragedies recorded in the Bible, and we just read it in Genesis chapter 34. I've broken the passage down into different points, all of them begin with D. And the first one is this, the defilement of Dinah, verses 1 to 5. Dinah went out to see the daughters of the land. Now, scholars have tried to figure it up of when Dinah was born, everything would have estimated that Dinah was probably about 15 or 16 years old. And Dinah, who was Leah's daughter, went out to see the daughters of the land. Now, who were the daughters of the land? Well, Dinah was the only female uh, young person in Jacob's family, and the Jacob's family was the only ones that had any godly heritage. And so the daughters of the land were the daughters of the idolaters, the godless people in that land, people who did not fear God, who were void, void of any moral training whatsoever. Those were the daughters of the land. And Dinah, probably since she didn't have any sisters, she had to fellowship with somebody, so she decided she was going out to see the daughters of the land. Now, you have to realize that Dinah being the only daughter was probably spoiled rotten. And uh, she probably began to have thoughts about boys and all of that, and she went out to see the daughters of the land, and then the result was Shechem defiled her. The Bible says in this order, he saw her, he took her, he lay with her, and he defiled her. It's interesting that the word defiled is used in Psalm 79, verse 1, to speak of when the Babylonians came in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and tore down the temple and all. And the Bible says they defiled the temple. Use same word. And the Lord considers the defilement of a young lady as the same, in the same category as tearing down the temple of God. You see, it doesn't matter what people think about it. What God says about it is it's a terrible sin. He was a godless man, this Shechem, and he did not consider what he did to, to, to Dinah as that great a sin. And then the Bible says that Shechem loved her, and he spake kindly to her. Now, in today's world, in our, in our culture, uh, that seems to make all the difference. And people would say, well, they lo he loves her, and he speaks kind to her. That doesn't matter. God already said in the previous verse that he defiled her. It doesn't matter how much he loved her, how much he thought about her, how kind he was to her. It was still sin, and God didn't change his estimation of that. Shechem told his dad to get her for him as his wife. Now, you have to understand, Shechem was the prince of the land. He was Hamor's son, and he was an influential man, and he was probably spoiled because he was considered so important. And he wanted Dinah, and so he told his, his father to get her for him. And see, that, see, in those days, the father arranged the marriage. And so he says, Dad, arrange this marriage because I want her. Jacob heard about what had happened. Jacob heard that Dinah had been defiled. And it says in verse 5 that he waited. He didn't do anything. He held his peace. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with Jacob holding his peace right then until his sons came home and he could discuss it with his sons. But there was something wrong when Jacob continued to hold his tongue and not say anything. 
and he let the sons take over, as we'll see a little bit later. You see, he was the prince. God had given him the name Israel. And chapter 32, verse 28, says that he was the prince who had power with God and with man. God says, I have given you the power with God and with man. And so, Jacob, it's your part, it's your position, it's your responsibility to do something about this, not your sons. But at the present, he held his peace until his sons came home. Then the next part of the chapter is is verses 6 to 10, and that's the the deal offered by Hamar. You see, Hamar was was Shechem's father. And Hamar went to commune with Jacob, verse 6 says. Remember, his son had told him, get me this woman for my wife. And the father just did what his son told him to do, and he went to commune with Jacob. The sons of Jacob came home probably when this communing was taking place, and so it ends up that uh, he's actually communing with Jacob and Jacob's sons. Now, they had heard about what had happened. The Bible says they were grieved and they were very wroth. They were very angry. And Shechem had wrought, they said Shechem had wrought folly in Israel. It's interesting that these sons use the term Israel because they're already realizing that God has a special function for this family. And they, God renamed their dad, and so they consider their family as Israel. And so he has wrought folly in Israel, and the word folly means foolishness. And uh, then he says this, that they, they've, he's done something that ought not to be done. Now let's back up a minute and let's consider immorality. God has already said in this passage that it's defilement. God says, you do that to a lady, you defile her. It's wrong. God has said this is something that ought not to be done, and God says it's foolish to do it. And so that's God's take on this immorality. And then the deal was offered by Hamar. He says, first of all, the reason to offer this deal, he says, my son longs for your daughter. My son wants this, so I'm going to get it for him. (laughs) My son longs for your daughter, and so give her to him for his wife. That's his reasoning. And then he makes the deal. He says, you make marriages with us. You intermarry with us. And he says, not just Shechem and your daughter Dinah, but all of us. Let's get together and you give your daughters to us for wives and we will give our daughters to you for wives. And then he says, you dwell in the land, you trade, and you get possessions. So settle down here, dwell in the land, trade. Jacob likes that. Get possession. Jacob likes that and says, let's do that. And then the next thing is, the dowry is offered by Shechem. You see, the deal is offered by Hamor, but then Shechem comes back with the dowry offering. Now, the dowry is a gift given to the family uh, for the bride. And so he says, I'm sort of not thinking much about what my dad said about us intermarrying. I'm not really interested in that. What I'm interested in is her. That's what I'm interested in. So, God uh, is what he said, and I'm not opposed to that so much, but it doesn't matter. He says, what I'm interested in is this woman, and here's what I'll do. And so he asks for his, the grace, grace in their sight. Not that he understood grace, but he's just wanting 
uh, them to uh, say it's okay. And he says, I ask for grace in your sight. And then he offered them whatever they wanted for a dowry. He says, what you say, I will give. I'm the rich kid, you know. <laughs> I'm the rich prince, and I have everything. You, whatever you say, I'll give. And then he goes on to say as much as, name your price. Just name your price. In other words, he's trying to buy Dinah. Maybe that's what his sons had in mind in the last verse of this passage when he said he's going to treat her like a whore, like a harlot. And uh, he says, they said he's trying to buy our sister. And so he says, you just name your price. And then he ended in verse 12 by saying, uh, give, give her to me. In other words, I'm going to offer you this, but I demand that you give your daughter to me. He seems to have bypassed his dad's offer and this is his offer, whatever it costs, I'll give you for Dinah. And then we come to the next part of the passages in verse 13 to 17. I've called this the deception by Jacob's sons. The deception by his sons. They were deceitful, and they justified their deceit by what Shechem had done to their sister. They were saying the end justifies the means. If we can get even with him, it doesn't matter how we do it. Because he's wronged our sister, then we're right in doing this. And verse 13, if you'll look at that passage there in verse 13, it says, And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem. Now this is the sons of Jacob, and this is probably more than Simeon and Levi. It's probably the whole bunch of them, maybe not Joseph, he was pretty young. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, the father deceitfully, and said, Because he had defiled Dinah, their father, their sister. Now, they didn't say that to Hamor. They didn't say because you defiled. They're saying that among themselves. So they get together and make a deal and they say, we justify this because of what he did uh, to our sister. But one wrong does not justify another wrong. They're really acting like who? Their dad. You remember, Jacob was the deceiver and his, and his sons are deceiving these people. So they asked all the men of the city to be circumcised. They cloaked their deception in religion, verse 14 tells us, and, when, and they said, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that were a reproach unto us. You mean what you're planning to do isn't a reproach? You're planning to kill all these men and that's not a reproach? But he says... Uh, we can't give our daughter, our sister to you unless you be circumcised. So uh, this is, we're, we're not going to do that. So they cloak it in religion. And all their males, they said, must be circumcised. They said, oh, we, be as we are. Be as we are. In other words, circumcised. The males will be circumcised. As if that outward surgery would make them Israelites. It wouldn't. And it wouldn't make it right for God's people to intermarry with these idolatrous people uh, just because they had this outward sign. But they said, let's do that. And then they said, we will give our daughters to you and then we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you. And then notice they added something that Hamor did not add. And they said, we will be one people. We will be one people. they, They knew that wasn't possible. They knew that was not their intention. But they said, we will be one people. Well, that was against the will of God to to be one people. They're to be a distinct people. But they added that. 
In fact, everything they're saying is a lie except one thing. And that is verse, in verse 16, they said, and we will take your daughters to us. Now, they didn't lie about that because after they killed all the men, they took all the daughters to them. So they told the truth there. And if not, they said, we will take our sister and we'll be gone. So you do this, we'll all be one people, everybody be happy. But if you don't, we'll take our daughter our sister, and be gone. So that was the deception of Jacob's sons. And then there's the decision of the Shechemites. They're offered this deal. What are they going to do? So they make a decision. Hamor and Shechem were pleased with the whole thing, verse 18 says. They were pleased with the words of Jacob's sons. And they thought, this is a good deal. And so Shechem Shechem hastened to make arrangements because he delighted in Dinah, verse 19 tells us. And uh, it's interesting what verse 19 says. And the young man deferred not. That means he was in a hurry to do it. Not to do the thing because he had delight in Jacob's daughter and he was more honorable than all the house of his father. I thought about that. That's pretty bad, isn't it? To say that you are worse than a rapist? (laughs) That's what they said. said, this rapist is more honorable than all the rest of the family. Well, that didn't say much for the rest of the family if uh, this rapist is more honorable than they are. And uh, so that's what's, what's said. Now, I don't know if God is actually saying that he's an honorable guy or if they, among them he had more honor than anybody else. We're not real sure. But anyway, he is not honorable. God said that he was, uh, he was a rapist. God's already said he defiled uh, uh, Dinah. And then Hamor and Shechem convinced the men to do what they, the plan had been, do the plan that they had been presented with, and that is all of them be circumcised. And so they said this to him, to the, to the, to the rest of the, the city. They said, let's agree to intermarry, verses 20 and 21. Let's agree to intermarry, and we must all be circumcised. And then they said in verse 23, here's our deception. And that is, if we'll do this, then it'll turn out good for us. And that is, when we assimilate, all their possessions will be ours. And so they had a little deception of their own. And so every male consented in the city, and they were circumcised. And then we see the next thing in the, in the account is the depravity of Jacob's sons. I mean, how depraved can you get? This is pretty bad. And the Bible says that Simeon and Levi took their swords, and they killed the males on the third day while they were sore. They had this surgery for circumcision, and it's pretty much known that the third day is the worst day, and it leaves the men incapacitated. They couldn't defend themselves quickly. And the, Simeon and Levi, maybe the other sons, backed out. They said, oh, I don't know. We better not do this. So maybe they backed out. I don't know. But Simeon and Levi, which were brothers to Dinah, said, let's do it. And they went in, and maybe from house to house, they went and killed all the males. Killed them all. And then they went to Shechem and Hamor's house. And they killed Hamor and they killed Shechem. And Dinah was in Shechem's house and had been since he had raped her. 
And they took Dinah out and took her home. And then the sons of Jacob did something that's unspeakable after that. And that is they not only killed all these men, but they took everything that they had. And they justified it with the rape of, of, of Dinah. It's okay we do this because he did this to our sister. So they took their sheep, they took their oxen, they took their asses, all that was in the field and in the city, they took them. They took all their wealth, they took their little ones, the children, they took their wives, they took all that was in the house, they just ransacked the house, they took everything. And uh, they showed how depraved they were. They were acting like the heathen round about them. This was Jacob's sons. And then we close the passage by seeing the disgust of Jacob. Jacob shows his disgust when he says three things. You have troubled me, he says to his, his sons. You have made me to stink among the inhabitants of the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And then he says this, the enemies, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, they'll hear about this and they'll come in and destroy our whole family. And then Jacob's sons came back at their dad and they said this, should he deal with our sister as with a harlot? In other words, we're going to deal with one man's sin by killing all the men. That's not justice. We're going to hurt, because they hurt one of our ladies, we're going to hurt all of their women. And so they are really bad guys, really, in the house of Jacob. Yes, this truly is a tragic family story. It's a tragedy, though, that could have been avoided. It could have been avoided. This did not have to happen. And what I want to center on this morning is, as we finish the message is that what are the things that caused this to happen? What is it could have been done to keep it from happening? Well, first of all, Jacob should have gone back to Bethel and then on to see his mom and dad and not, and not lingered there in Shechem. God called him, called, told him to go to the land of his kindred, chapter 31, verse 13. Not to, not to Shechem, but to Hebron, the land of his kindred. It was all right to build an altar in Shechem. I don't think there was anything wrong with building that altar years before Abraham had built an altar there. But it was wrong to stay there. It was wrong to stay where God didn't tell him to go. God told him to go on to, 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 uh, to Bethel back and, and, to, and to Hebron to see his mom and dad. And then also when Jacob lingered at Shechem, he allowed his sons and his daughters to be influenced by those godless people. Parents, beware. The same is true today. And many times we put our kids in positions that we were not in when we were kids. And we expect them to be strong and to stand up and everything. And they are influenced. And they're influenced by the godless society around them. Don't forget the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Be not deceived. Evil communications, that means evil company, corrupts good manners or good character. Jacob chose to live near Shechem. He made that choice, and choices have consequences. Dinah chose to go out and see the daughters of the land. 
And the brothers chose to act like the ungodly around them and not like God's people. And so they made those choices. Jacob thought of his possessions more than he did of his children. And he was allowing Dinah to be put in a position like this. And uh, he, he didn't seem to understand the danger all around to his kids. He tolerated evil practices because he was not close to God. He was not close to the Lord, and therefore he was tolerating things he should have, shouldn't have. You see, Dinah, he should have noticed if he had paid any attention. I mean, he had one daughter, and surely he paid her a lot of attention. He should have noticed that she's at the age, she starts to be interested in boys. <laughs> have you ever noticed that about girls? I mean, some of them are boy crazy, and they don't realize that the boys they're after are crazy. <laughs> And uh, so, but Dinah's that way. She's starting to be interested in the boys. And there are no boys of the godly family. I mean, all the boys in the godly family, and sure, they, they sure weren't an example, are her brothers. And all the rest of the boys in that whole area were ungodly idolaters. And Jacob should have known that. He should have seen that. And he should have gotten them out of there. When he got ready to go to back to Bethel, it was evident that he had been tolerating sin. Look at chapter 35, verse 2. God told him, rise, go to Bethel. And what did Jacob do? Jacob said unto his household, to all that were with him, put away the strange gods. He knew they had strange gods because his wife had them. He knew that. That are among you, and be clean and change your garments. We're going to go see the Lord. You better dress different than you've been dressing. Maybe Dinah went out and dressed seductively. We don't know. But when he knew he was going to go back to see the Lord at Bethel, he said, family, we've got to straighten up. And so he knew they weren't straightened up to begin with. And so he was allowing this to happen in his family. So Jacob should not have been there. He should have been back at Bethel. Jacob should have taken the lead and dealt with the problem when it occurred. Dinah had been raped. Dinah had been raped. He should have said, go get Dinah right now. Let's go get Dinah. It shouldn't be, sons, come in. We're going to talk about this. He should have said, sons, we're going to go get Dinah. Dad should have said, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to rebuke Shechem. We're going to let him know how terrible this is. And he might not think it is, but our God thinks it is. And we're going to stand up with our Lord. And they should have rebuked Shechem. And then they should have got out of there. And Jacob should have said, we're leaving. The family's gone. I'm not staying around this anymore. He should have come to the place where it was a wake-up call to him. And he should have said, I have failed, family. I cannot change what has been done. Dinah has been raped. But I can change the future. And I can do what I can to save my daughter and my sons from future problems. Let's get out of here. Let's go to Bethel. And let's go to Hebron. And then he should have thought, my family's watching me to see what I'm going to do. And I need to make sure that I do the right thing. But he held his peace. And then he let his sons decide what to do. What they told their, when they told their plan, and some I read said, uh, Jacob probably wasn't in there when they made those plans. Jacob, being a man with power with God and with man, if he wasn't in there, he should have said, wait a minute, boys, you tell me what you discussed. And when they just told him what they discussed, he should have said, no, you're not going to do it. No, but he didn't. 
He just stood on the sidelines and he held his peace. Jacob then had made another problem, made another mistake, something he could have done to avoid this happening. And that is Jacob failed to consult with God. You see, he had built an altar, but he did not go to the altar during this crisis. God is not once mentioned in Genesis chapter 34. Not once. God wasn't in the picture. Interesting, isn't it? When we're disobeying God that we don't like to talk to him. (laughs) That's the way Jacob was. He is not trusting God. He's leaning on his own understanding. And the Bible says, he didn't know this passage. It wasn't written yet, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. He was leaning on his own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He should have come to the Lord and asked his advice what to do, but he didn't. Jacob is thinking about himself, and that's really all he's thinking about. Now, if you want proof for that, just read verse 30. What's it say in verse 30? Notice his rebuke to his sons. He said in verse 30, Ye have troubled me to make me a stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I, being few in number, they shall, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I will be destroyed, I and my house. It's all about him. He wasn't thinking about God's glory. He was thinking about Jacob, and that's all. He wasn't thinking about the Lord. Remember David, in the story of David, the prophet Nathan rebuked David. When David had sinned, he said to David, he said, all right, you have confessed your sins and the Lord's forgiven you, but you've given great occasion for the enemy to blaspheme the Lord. And Jacob and his sons gave great occasion for the enemy to later blaspheme the Lord. These are supposed to be godly people, and look what they did. And so Jacob's not thinking about the Lord. He's thinking about himself. Yes, these are some things that Jacob could have done to avoid what happened. He could have avoided this family tragedy. But there's also some other lessons we can learn from this passage. Let me list some of them. First of all, Satan loves to get God's people involved in immorality. It's one of his biggest tools. Everybody here has been affected some way because of the sin of immorality. I imagine in your family, somewhere along the line, you've been affected by it. Satan loves to get his people involved in immorality. See, immorality is rebellion against God, and that's what Satan is all about. It allows the devil to use our body to fight against our God. So he uses the body that God gave us, that God says is to be presented to him. He uses that body to fight against God, and the devil loves that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us about that in verse 15. It says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of, the Christ, of Christ? How then shall I take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What, know ye not that they which are joined to a harlot is one body, and two, saith he, shall be one flesh? But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth without, without the body he, but is without the body. But he that committeth uh, fornication sinneth against his own body. What, know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? 
So you take your body and participate in immorality. The Lord says you're allowing the devil to take your body, which is not your own. It's the temple of God. God lives in there, and you're allowing him to take that and use it to fight against God. And so the devil is shrewd, and he loves to get God's people involved in immorality. Today, immorality is accepted. It's encouraged. It's glamorized, and it's celebrated but when we get close to the world, we can expect it. Because when we get close to the world, you see, immorality doesn't seem so bad. Shechem didn't see anything wrong with it. And God's people were beginning to get to the same place. They didn't see anything wrong with killing all these people. And they were being affected by the Shechemites. And then another lesson we can learn is this. Satan loves to get his, his people married to God's people. He loves to get his people married to God's people. Nothing would have pleased the devil more after, after Shechem raped Dinah to get Dinah to marry Shechem. <laughs> you think, well, that's probably the best solution. I'm, no, no. God says uh, Shechem is the godless. Uh, he's, he's a godless man. He doesn't love the Lord. He's an idolater. He doesn't have moral character. And to marry up with Dinah is the wrong thing because it's always wrong for God, for Christians to marry unsaved people. As I've said, if you marry an unsaved person, you'll have trouble with your father-in-law who is the devil. And so 2 Corinthians tells us that, that be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You see, when Satan gets his people to marry God's people, it's an inside job. <laughs> Because he is getting in the family, and he's going to use his person to tear down God's person. It's an inside job. And then there's another lesson, and that is the solution to worldliness, which is what Dinah was experiencing, what Jacob's sons were experiencing. They've been around the world so long that it was affecting them. The solution to the world is always separation. Remember the Lord says, flee fornication. Get out of there. Get away from it. In chapter 35, after this incident is all over, what does the Lord say to Jacob? Arise, Jacob, get to Bethel. Get out of here. Go to Bethel. And uh, that's always God's solution. To worldliness is separation. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And so when the world is affecting you, you need to leave it, get away from it, and stop being around those friends that would drag you down. Get away from it because it is deadly. And then another lesson is this. We must remember who we are. We must remember who we are. Now, Jacob didn't know this in these words, but the Bible tells in Matthew chapter 5, we're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world and salt of the earth. Jacob was a successful businessman, but he wasn't a shining light. As a businessman, he was shrewd enough, but not salty enough. The Shechemites seemed to be comfortable around Jacob and his family. Their light had dimmed, and their salt had lost its savor. They didn't seem to be bothered to be about being around Jacob's family because they were being like them. By this time, by the time the tragedy was over, they were like Jesus said to us. And that he says, if your salt loses its savor, he said this, 
it is good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot. And that's Jacob's family when this is all over. They're good for nothing but to be cast down and trodden underfoot. And not only did they need to leave, but I imagine the people who were left in that area wanted them to leave. They didn't want anything to do with them. You see, the Lord tells us we need to understand something about ourselves, And that is, we as God's people are in this world, but we're not of it. Turn with me as we close this morning to John chapter 17. It's the high priestly prayer of the Lord. And the Lord makes some statements here that we need to understand. It says in verse 6 of John 17, verse 6, I have, mani- I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. If you're saved, the Lord has taken you out of the world. I've illustrated sometimes it's like, uh, you know, there's a big mountain there and there's rocks and everything, and God goes over and takes us, and he takes us as a rock out of that mountain and sets us here, and he starts chiseling us away. He says, this one's mine. He has taken us out of. And so he takes us out of the world. And then the Bible says in verse 11, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. Yes, we're out of the world. We've been taken out of the world, but we're still in the world. We still live here. He says, I've taken them out of the world. And I am come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Then look, look at verse 14. I have given them the, the word, and the world hath hated them. So God took us out of the world, and he says that because of that, the world hates us. It hates us. He's taken us out of the world. We're still living in the world, but the world hates us. And then he says in verse 15, he says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. You'd think, well, the Lord, Lord, just take me out of the world. God says, no, it's not my will for to take you out of the world yet. I took you out of the world and made you my own, and you're not in the world. You're not a part of the world anymore. But it's not my will yet to take you out of the world physically because I have something for you to do. He says in verse 15, that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. God's will for us is that we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. He's to keep us from evil. And verse 16 says, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Don't be of the world. Don't be worldly. And then verse 18 he says this, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. Isn't that interesting? We're not of the world, but we're in the world. And God says he, sent, he leaves us here, so he keep, and he wants to keep us from evil, so he can send us to the world. So we can tell the world, the other ones, about Jesus. You see, we're in the world for God's purpose, but we're not to be of the world. The problem comes when the world gets in us. It's like you're about in a boat. There's no problem with your boat being in the water. But there's a problem when the boat get when the water gets in the boat. And the Lord says you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And don't and keep the evil out of you. And I've got you in the world for a purpose and that says so you on top of the water can go rescue people. And you can tell them about Jesus. May God keep us from the tragedies of sin 
likes to record in this passage and other places in the Bible. May God keep us close to him. And may we not be of the world, but may we be separate from the world, but sent to the world, telling them about the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for teaching us from this passage. I know it's not a good account, but Lord, you have lessons for us. So I pray that we might learn those lessons and we might be beware of the world's influence upon us, upon our children, our grandchildren, and may we be cautious in this world to make sure that the evil of the world does not get in us, but take, let us take the gospel to them and share about Jesus. Bless now, Lord, as we sing the invitation song. If anyone needs to make a decision for you, we pray that they will. In Jesus' name.